0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody
1: Everything. I'm not feeling my best today, and that is unusual for me. I'm not sure what it was. It might have been the large vodka I drank before I went to sleep. Bobby's like, you can't be hungover. How many drinks did you have? One? I said, yeah, one. But when you're pouring a drink yourself and it's like pure vodka with a splash of J2O spritz, who knows? I mean, I'm not used to it. And I had a false sense of security. Bank holiday Monday. I wanted to catch up and watch the latest episode of Succession, which obviously It takes us several attempts to watch because we end up falling asleep. We just can't get through it. Um, Not to say it's a boring show. If you're not watching Succession, I don't know, it might be too late. The babysitter was telling me she's watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I used to watch that, and then I fell off, and I just can't get back in. It's just too much investment to get into a series that everyone else has been watching. But basically, I just don't feel well today, and Fred's executive assistant, a.k.a. the babysitter, Miriam, the love of my life, she came today and we're not seeing her again for a week. And I was so grateful to see her. I just said, do you know what? You take both kids to the park, please. I just need to lay down for a while. And Bobby was home and laid with me. And it was one of the first times in a long time that we've just laid in bed in the day, looking at memes, laughing about stuff, watching clips and talking shit. Because we don't do that at night. We're cooked by the nighttime. We can't even get through an episode of our favorite show. Fred didn't even go to bed till 10 PM last night. And it's like, uh, um, it was so lovely. It reminded me of when we were first married. And I feel like he probably enjoys that. I'm a little bit sick because he was trying to get up and go golfing. And I was like, please don't, please, please stay. It was a departure from the usual. I don't need anybody for anything. TV's Catherine Ryan, hyper independent queen Um, I was on television last week. I did the final episode of Late Night Lysit, starring and created by my very good friend, Joe Lysit. If you haven't seen Late Night Lysit, it's live television at 10 p.m. on Channel 4, which is something that we used to enjoy all the time, and I feel like there's hardly any live television anymore. But if you're in bed at 10, the same as we are, you can watch that all on catch-up. I've been trying to get on the show for several weeks, and there been a, you know, comedy of errors preventing me from actually making it on the show, but I was finally on on Friday and I had an awesome time. I'm in the tabloids today, which is disappointing for everyone. The Sun, the Daily Mail, the Mirror, the Irish Examiner, the Express, for something that went down yesterday that I'm regretting even speaking about. But more on that later, because straight off the bat, we have to wrap up last week's episode about the rat problem. I asked for advice. As a landlord who really cares about my investment property not crumbling, but also the tenants who are living there now, I want everyone to have a good experience. I had a great experience living in that flat, and it pains me that for literally years I was telling the like higher management company, the, the language is like they manage the freehold and I'm a leaseholder. Right? Because I own one of the flats inside, but the big flat is managed by like a management company. I was telling them that there are rats in the walls, not in my flat, but in the walls. I can't access the walls. I don't own what's in other people's properties. Can they sort it? And for years, they told me that I was wrong. And I felt tremendously gaslit. And I still don't have full confidence that they're going to solve the problem now, even though after two years, they have finally admitted yes, there are rats in the walls. So I asked for your help, and the emails have come pouring in. Here's Joanne's roundup. Catherine, you had a ton of emails this week. I wish we could push out two podcasts this week. Push out two podcasts, Joanne. First of all, we, I, w- I wish we, she, you must mean me, the royal we. Many listeners chimed in about the rats, paired with the despair of indifferent property managers. One listener even lives Oh. Oh my Lord. One of your listeners lives in the building. I can't, can't, it's the church. All right. I've never said like what I'm talking about because I don't ever want to stitch anybody up personally, but I'm using all this cryptic language. It is a like multi hundred year old church converted into flats. It is a listed church. Yes. It's difficult to look after. I just have to call it the church now. All right. One listener even lives in the church. And she can confirm stories of rats, mice, and even frogs making their way into her basement unit. (gasps) See, what is with this property? Why did you tell me for years that I was nuts when I know other residents are confirming what I've said? And I gave you a chance to fucking sort it two years ago. I really, like it boils my piss. Joanne sent me this. She thought it was a really funny letter. Sean and his nemesis, the super rat. Catherine, I found it very interesting that your property management company used the rat bait not being touched as evidence of there not being any rats. Let me tell you, for the last two years, I have been targeted by some sort of Stephen Hawking, Tom and Jerry inspired super rat. At first, I noticed this rat scurrying across my garden. Being a live and let live type of guy, I did nothing. But I did get concerned when I noticed it more and more around my property. One night, I heard scratching noises on the roof space above my kitchen and immediately made a call to my landlord, who sent out a pest control service. My rule is, once an animal's in my house, they're fair game." So the pest control company came and laid some traps baiting stations around the patio outside my kitchen. I thought this would be the end of it. However, a few days later, all of the traps had been moved to the center of my patio, but had not been set off. They still had the bait in them ready to deploy. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. And I just moved them back to the edges around the areas I had previously seen the rat running through. A few weeks passed and i had seen little evidence of this rat. I assumed he had eaten some poison and had hopefully passed away peacefully somewhere outside my house. I mean, I don't don't know that that is the experience with poison. I'm not sure it's like being put to sleep. But, I mean, that's a story for another day. Then one morning, as I leave my house for work, this rat is sitting on top of my fence, staring directly at me. The look in his eyes was clear. I had tried to kill him and used methods he deemed inferior for a rat of his station. This little prick was sending a message. Since then, we've been locked in a battle of the wits, and the rat is winning. Every month, I try to deploy some new method of catching or killing him, and every month, he avoids my efforts and flaunts his presence to me on a regular basis. My landlord has had pest control out multiple times, and to be honest, I feel badly asking him again, as I know the rat will inevitably win. I have tried every kind of trap and poison on the market, and even created some homemade rat-catching methods. I've watched through my window as this dickhead avoids bait stations and drags traps out of his path. I swear, I even once saw him use a stick to set off a trap safely. My 11-year-old daughter has named him Gus and finds it hilarious that he keeps evading me. Whilst I hate this rat with a passion, I've kind of developed some form of respect for him. At this stage, I concede victory to Gus, and I'm probably going to move. Good luck with your rat problem. Fingers crossed. Your rats are dumber than mine. I received many, many, many emails about the rats, people who'd worked in the property management sector, people who had been tenants. Some people told me to threaten legal action. Some people gave tips on how to catch them. Thank you for all of those letters. Here's one that I feel balances out the conversation. Catherine, I've worked in the property sector for 10 years. I have managed hundreds of properties on behalf of landlords over the years. Dealing with rodents is a tricky situation. By their nature, rats will have an extensive territory which will run the span of multiple properties in an area. The building your property is in has the added benefit of being old, probably with plenty of crawl space for them, and I'm assuming close to other similar buildings. It's not, actually. It's totally detached. It's also in London, where the rat population is huge. The likelihood is that while multiple tenants in the building can hear the rats, as no one has seen them in the flats, according to the management company, and the traps haven't been touched, the rats are just using the building as a through fare. In this situation, the management company have really done all they're able to. Have an inspection, I'm assuming this is done regularly, and have permanent traps in place that are checked regularly. It's also important the bin store is kept clean and tidy. So if this is not already organized by the management company, they need to have contractors clean this at least on a bi weekly basis. So I can confirm the bin area is immaculate. It really is spotless. However, Without them doing an extensive search of the whole area and all buildings surrounding yours being inspected and treated to find the rat's nest and food sources, it is really impossible to completely eradicate them. The smell is likely to be caused by a rat that has died, not their droppings. I have previously found rats dead inside an... Oh, trigger warning Jen, dead rats. Insulation in loft spaces and between walls. So, I suggest having a contractor look there if you're able to. If you're unable to find it, the smell will eventually go away. I know this is not what you want to be telling your tenant, and it's not a pleasant experience for them to live with. But unless you want to rip all the walls down, there's not much you can do. I would like to rip all the walls down, but I'm not, I'm like literally not allowed because I'll be ripping into someone else's property. And I have torn the whole bathroom apart. And we found droppings. We never found a deceased rat in the walls. But yeah, maybe that's where the smell was coming and going seasonally. It is also a difficult situation for the management company to be in. I agree with them that as they have already hired professionals for inspections to take place, they will need to justify to their investors and other landlords who pay a management fee to have another inspection carried out. From a property manager's standpoint, it is not our place to spend money out of budget without prior consent. If you're able to, I would suggest you raise the issue to the board yourself, or as you have said you're hearing from multiple tenants about the issue, encourage them all to write to the management company expressing their concern. Your property manager will have more leverage to request spending the extra money on another inspection, ideally with a different company as a second opinion, with multiple reports of there being rodents in the walls of the building. However, even with another inspection, as mentioned above, it will be really difficult to completely eradicate rats from the building due to their territory. I hope this helps you to understand the property manager's standpoint and gives you something to work with going forward. I can't help with their lack of communication though, although in my experience, being a naggy landlord will mean your issue gets dealt with quicker, so don't hesitate to chase them. Well, I do, I have chased them. And I'm happy to hear from the management company's point of view because I'm not trying to be a dick to anyone. You know, it just would have been helpful for me if the lady that I was dealing with would have acted on my assertions of rats sooner. And I know it's difficult and you know, I don't I don't want to ruin her life and nag her all the time. but they didn't even admit there were rats for two years and I really feel like something more could have been done. Oh well. London. What is wrong with London? Like, wash your fucking hands. Like, did you guys not learn from the plague? I'm amazed that people are like, yep, London's full of rats. Like, shouldn't we fix that? Like, why is London? I love London, but I mean, it's disgusting. Okay. Which brings me to the events of yesterday. (sighs) I never want to be a Karen. And when you're in the public eye, a little bit as I am, no, I'm not Anne Hathaway, but I am known moderately on one small island. So when I go places here in the UK, especially if I have mascara on, people recognize me. So I think I am less likely than your average person to ever be rude or ever kick off. I tip 30%. I'm kind to everyone. And also like, I am just nice. Contrary to what, you know, my stage persona might lead you to believe. Even though I think my stage persona is also fucking nice. So we took Fred to Diggerland, Diggerland, UK. There are several locations. I think a lot of them are spread out. I think in the north, I think there might be one in Devon. And the closest one to us is in Kent. I was really excited to take him there. I wanted to go last season. They closed during the colder months and they're also not open during the week. But I didn't know if he would still like diggers after the cold season. Luckily, he does. He absolutely loves them, and he's a much better age to go now. And Bobby said, oh, maybe we shouldn't go. It's the bank holiday weekend. It'll be busy. I said, Bobby, there are excavators there, front loaders, skid steers, you name it. It's always going to be busy. If you have small children or even a grown man, because I saw grown men going on the rides, like releasing their inner child, and I thought it was adorable. If you have someone in your life who loves diggers, I really recommend you go to Diggerland. It's full of amazing things to watch rides adult rides not like sexual rides you know what i mean like rides for (laughs) grown-ups adult rides a virtual reality headset no it's like uh you know i'm not well today but they have a lot of rides go look online at diggerland uk um but it also rides for little kids and a lot of the height requirements are 100 centimeters which fred is not and many of them are also 80 centimeters which fred and probably your two-year-old is well above a few of the rides have a 90 centimeter height requirement, which is a bit of a, you know, a bit of a wild card, but you just have to look when you go in at the chart and it will say very clearly, you have to be this tall to get on the ride. Fine. It was quite busy. And I read online that even when there's a long queue, you don't queue for more than 30 minutes. And that's true, but I mean, 30 minutes is a really long time for a two-year-old. Luckily I had Bobby Fena, gorgeous Violet and myself with Fred, so we took turns queuing. Violet would stand in a queue because she just wants to be on her phone anyway, and then we'd join Violet at the end so that Fred didn't have to wait too long. Bobby would be running around with him. I would queue sometimes with Fena in the buggy, and then the boys would join, and Violet and Fred would both go on rides. It was a great day. They had go-karts. They have food there, or you can bring your own food and eat it on the picnic tables. They had a lot of really cool stuff. So the first ride that Fred was happy to go on with Bobby was one where you do the controls, you sit in a big excavator and you get to dig. Well, you really operate the excavator and it digs in rocks and muddy puddles. And Fred loved that. There's a little bit of vibration and he got scared near the end. But overall, you know, that's a great ride for Fred. He didn't want to go on any of the bigger ones, the faster ones, which you could go on with an adult if you were 80 centimeters but he wasn't interested. He wanted to drive this skid steer. And this was a ride that Fred was prepared to queue for. He was like, oh my gosh, that skid steer, it goes really slowly, but they have, again, two joystick sort of controls. And it goes slowly around this circuit through muddy puddles and all these cool things. Fred was gassed about it. He's like, I'm going on that. The height requirement for this one was 90 centimeters, which to be honest, if you feel like going and looking on my Instagram, Fred is just maybe 92 centimeters. He's just above it. We stood him at the height requirement at the beginning of the queue and he was above it. Fine. So we get in the queue. And the queue was good because you can watch the skid steers skiers during the queue. And so that makes it exciting. He's going, whoa, yeah, muddy puddles. Yeah, look at this one. La, la, loves it. After 30 minutes, well, it might have been 20 minutes of queuing between 20 and 30 minutes of queuing. Finally, it's Fred's turn. And the young woman who is managing the ride goes, oh, I just need to check if he's tall enough. And I said, oh, OK. She comes at him with this pole, her height measuring device was a pole with a flag on it and Fred is Fred and he didn't want her to come near him with this pole so he goes no and like made his body go limp and Violet's trying to hold him up and she goes you have to stand up straight Fred you have to stand up straight so the lady can measure you and he's like no and she's looking at it and he's not completely straight but you can see he's about 90 centimeters it's not as though I'm taking Fena up to the measuring stick and trying to pass her off as 90 centimeters. Fred is 92 centimeters, but he's flailing around, just being like, Eee, get this pole away from me, which is fair enough. Like this, he's like, sorry, ma'am. He doesn't know her. And she has this metal pole that she's trying to stick next to his face. And he was like, eh. So she goes, Well, if I can't measure him, he can't go on it. And I was like, uh, what? I mean, he's clearly tall enough, and this is a really slow ride. His sister or I, I'm gonna go on it with him. And he's just cued for twenty five minutes. He, you know he's almost two years old. You're literally saying he can't go on the ride. She's like, no, I'm I'm afraid not. She was really polite. She's like, no, I'm sorry, like if I can't measure him. And it's like, oh, my God. all right. So I understand where this girl's coming from. This young woman, this young lady. I shouldn't assume her gender, but I think she was a girl. I understand that she has been briefed. To the nines, with health and safety, Diggerland cannot be responsible for a child injuring themselves on a ride due to any negligence. So I'm sure that her health and safety instruction is like parents will argue with you. This is Medway after all. Um, do not buckle to any parent begging for their child to go on the ride. If they don't meet this height requirement, they cannot go on. And she said, oh, well, what if it's a little two-year-old boy and he's been queuing for 25 minutes and the manager's gone, no, no way, no how. We run a tight ship here at Diggerland. I'm sure that that conversation happened, and I appreciate that this young woman is doing her job. But he is 92 centimeters, so I was like, oh, Okay, well, it would have been useful for you to measure him at the beginning of the queue if this was the rule. And she said, well, there is a measuring area at the beginning of the queue. I said, yeah, he's tall enough on that one. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. So I get out of the queue. I was like, all right, thanks. And then I go over to the beginning of the queue again. And I took a picture of Fred standing at the thing. And he looks well above. He looks 95 centimeters on this thing. So i brought the photo to her at the front of the queue again and i said excuse me i know he's afraid of your pole and he's not cooperating with you and i get your position but if you look at this photo you're measuring thing at the beginning of the queue with the happy digger man on it that he's happy to stand next to fred will stand next to that if you look at this photo he's clearly above the height requirement and she's like well let me try him with the pole again i was like oh please no so she comes with the pole and credit to her. You know, she's trying to make it work, but Fred is, hates this poll, so he wouldn't cooperate. And I said, can you not let him on the right? She goes, no. I was like, well, all right. So we left. And I do think <laughs> it's ridiculous splitting hairs like that when he's clearly, I mean, exactly the height or maybe one centimeter below or two centimeters above. Like she could see that without even getting the pole exactly on him. She could see that he's basically tall enough, if anything. I think it is a little bit ridiculous to be splitting hairs and not let a two-year-old on the ride. Even though I empathize with her position, I get where she's coming from. And in another way, I respect the hell out of this woman because how hard is it to just look at a two-year-old and be like, no, like you got to be a stone cold killer to be like, Nope. And hold your ground like that. And I'm sure other parents have begged and pleaded and cried and shouted at this woman before, and she doesn't deserve any of it. And also finally, someone has the guts to take my kids down a notch. Like, what am I really complaining about? Oh, well, I'm just going to take Fred home later that day to his beautiful house and huge garden where he can swim in his pool and he can play with a thousand diggers. You know, Fred has a pretty good life. It's okay to be told no once in a while and to have things not go your way. I need to hire this woman to come do like a birthday party for Violet's age group and tell them no to a bunch of shit because she is a stronger woman than I. Fred didn't have a tantrum or anything. He really didn't care. He just got out of the queue and went and did something else. But there's just the principle of it annoyed me. As much as I admire this woman, I found it pedantic and annoying. And then I put this on social media. I was not ranting. I was not raging. I was certainly not incensed. In fact, I said all the things that I just said now about how I respect this woman. And all the newspapers today are like, Catherine Ryan is raging. She slams a theme park. She's really going for a park worker. She lets loose. It's like, why are women every time we have an issue with something framed that way? I was trying to be funny about it. This is my job in life to take experiences that you might have in your life, similar to mine. You might be taking a two year old to Diggerland and queuing with them for 25 minutes. And then how annoying if they can't get on the ride just because they wouldn't stand up straight and you know, they're tall enough. And the woman was not budging on it. That's annoying for you. That's annoying for me. I take the bus. Sometimes they change drivers at this one stop next to my house, and that takes 10 minutes. They've added this driver change to the route. That's annoying for me. Am I not allowed to point that out and have a laugh about it with everyone else without someone in the comments actually being like, this spoiled fucking bitch, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. And Fred has a wonderful life, and I'm very blessed, and I have a wonderful life. I was not coming for this girl shaming her people are like, how dare you shame this working class woman? What does that even mean I'm working class Sure I like became a celebrity but I had these kind of jobs and I waitressed and I'm I identify as having been raised working class too like what does that even mean in this country? you guys are obsessed with class. I did not go for this woman I'm not trying to like, slag her off online. I didn't take a picture of her and be like this 19 year old girl, you know, like I'm not trying to be a Karen. I'm just saying, oh, this is my experience today. Ha ha ha. Like I have to make material about something out of somewhere. And I have to talk about the experiences in my life. Sure. I do find it a bit weird when someone like Jerry Seinfeld continues with like, what's with airplane food kind of jokes, because he's not eating regular air. Like he's flying first or private with a Michelin star chef. I saw him briefly in New York and he was like, you know, when you go to the cinema and I was like, you don't go the cinema in the fourth floor of your house. What are you talking about? But I still like I'm a man of the people. I do normal things. I go places and I have experiences there. (sighs) Other than the food also taking 40 minutes, I have nothing bad to say about Diggerland. They contacted me, of course, because they wake up in the morning and they're like, oh shit, we're in the Sun newspaper now for not letting, who knew it was Catherine Ryan's golden son that we didn't let on this ride. (laughs) I mean, and again, I even sympathize with them more. What if they had let him on and he was too small, which he wasn't, and he fell into the mud and then like, oh, we've got Catherine Ryan's son dirty. That'd be in the news too. Like, I get that everybody has to do their best and owning a business is very difficult, but they're like, please, Catherine, I'm so sorry about that. Will you come back? And it's like, yes, I will definitely come back. Not for free. Like, don't worry about it. I'm not pissed off. I really do think the decision should have gone to VAR, but that's a football reference I picked up, but, uh, it's fine. Go to Diggerland. It's a ton of fun, but wear big shoes or make sure that your children are above 80 centimeters definitely, because that's like the ride minimum, and above 100 centimeters if you can. And if you're worried that they won't like Diggers next season, they will. Uh, because little boys, I mean, there were boys of all ages and girls absolutely loving these rides. And even Violet had a good time, and I had a good time. Um, it's probably got a location near you. It's super fun. And, you know, nothing bad to say about Diggerland. You know, maybe some people didn't even know about Diggerland until I went karen And that's what I hate. It's like a woman my age now has been silenced by young people, which is a tool of the patriarchy to make sure that women over 40 know their place. And you better shut up and you better never complain about anything or raise any issue. Otherwise, we have this weaponized word now to call you that is like all of a sudden the worst thing a white woman can be is a Karen. Like, oh, you're such a Karen. I got all these messages. Karen, Ryan, more like. Ladies, do not feel intimidated by the threat of being called a Karen. When you see injustice in the world or something ticks you off or you feel like you have been wronged in even some small way, you should be able to speak up for yourself or just say it's dumb and you're not being a Karen. You're just commenting on the world in front of you. Oh, and finally, the best thing happened at Diggerland. On our way out, Bobby's pushing the double buggy and I was walking with Violet and this man who was there with his family turned to Bobby and he goes, Bobby, no golf today? <laughs> slam, slam Bobby. And Bobby was like, uh, no, I'm golfing tomorrow. <laughs> See, I love that. We make friends wherever we go. Shout out to the man who said that to my husband. I loved it. Okay, this is also really important for me to address from last week. There was a woman who was going through a divorce with a young child, and she was living at her mom's while her partner, who had been, I think she described him as having been abusive and definitely threatening in the past, um, he was angry about her having had an affair, and he said, you can leave, but the child's staying with me. And I am not an expert, but I received lots of letters from experts, and here is one that I think will help to the listener from last week. As a child and adolescent crisis counselor, I wanted to send in a response to this person who emailed about leaving her partner and him keeping their daughter from her. You sound like a caring and empathetic person. It's easy to become people pleasing in a difficult relationship, but I urge you to take this seriously. Women and sometimes their children are more likely to be stalked, abused, assaulted, and killed in the first 90 days after leaving a relationship. Get a solicitor. You say he's already escalated to abuse since you split. Imagine what he's saying about you and why you both split to your child. Also, you are not risking his residency by getting legal help. If he has done something to risk it, those were his choices, and welcome to the consequences for choices. Please look out with your child for things like age regression, sleep disturbances, unusual anger outbursts, being scared of things that she previously was not. There is support available from child development psychologists. The best way to achieve shared custody and working out tricky areas like hang handover bank holidays, school holidays, eventually finances, et cetera. When the split is not amicable is through a court order. If you want to sit with your guilt about doing wrong in the relationship, cool, but his threats would surely make you even know. I don't know what that means. Imagine a friend came to you with the situation you're experiencing. What advice would you give to her? This is a lot to go through. It can be quite overwhelming. So please get yourself a therapist if you can afford one and potentially one for your child. You deserve to be supported. This woman is not in the UK, so she doesn't know the system, but she has suggested this potential free phone counseling resource. It's called thespark.org.uk. thespark.org.uk. Oh my God. I do worry about this so much. And you never want to say to someone like, if you leave them, they'll hurt you but like this is a message that we see in loads of Netflix true crime documentaries it's something that happened to a young woman in my town when we were young she split with her boyfriend and they had no children i mean we were young but that ended badly for her uh ugh, without bringing it down yes yeah i mean she was murdered it was horrible and i'm not saying every partner's going to do that and i think a lot of my relationships I stayed way longer than I should have because I had this secret fear like, oh, remember what happened to her? Like, If you leave someone and he doesn't want you to leave him, like, who knows what he'll do? I just tried to be people-pleasing in some of my own relationships. And I'm sure that I was overreacting and none of these people were going to hurt me. I mean, I left them all eventually and I'm still here. But this sounds like a whole kettle of fish and maybe it's easier to be in denial about it and just stay at your mom's butt. You really need to, I agree with this Lady who's written in this counselor, you really need to pull your socks up and like get the courage to protect your child and yourself. I'm going to do this a lot more often and respond to last week's emails because it, you know, a lot of people have written in and been like, I don't have closure on what that last listener said. And a lot of emails came in this week. We're not even at the emails yet. I'm just responding to last week's emails. A lot came in about autism so many different viewpoints actually most people were agreeing with my advice that the autistic sister should not be telling her sister that her son is displaying you know signs of autism And I think you should stay out of that because I'm sure she knows deep down or, you know, she's already been non-receptive. That was my advice. But this listener has said something different. And a few of you said something of the same. Catherine, I am a genuine admirer of yours, but please, please revisit what you said about autism in last week's podcast. It was so inaccurate and potentially damaging to so many people. Number one, everyone is not a little bit autistic. You either are or you aren't. It's like iPhone or Android, different wiring. If you are autistic, you might be affected in different ways and at different times in your life, but the ability to cope with everyday life or mask your autism fluctuates a lot depending on circumstances. Uh, So to address this, I thought that we, we always talk about a spectrum and I did think that everyone was somewhere on an autism spectrum. So I apologize if I got that wrong. I've definitely heard that no less than a thousand times. And people write me all the time and say I'm autistic. So I'm sorry. Number two, your listener should absolutely push her sister to get an autism assessment for her son, Early diagnosis could literally save his life and prevent any number of mental and physical health conditions caused by prolonged and intense stress. This isn't about different parenting styles. It's thinking that maybe her nephew has a condition and allowing her sister to willfully neglect it. Living in this world with undiagnosed autism and no support is so destructive. It's so much easier if the right support is offered. More on that later. Number three, your comments about boys and girls. Please, no. Autism is massively underdiagnosed in girls, and our understanding of autism is is based only on how it presents in boys. The diagnostic criteria is literally based on boys. Women and girls are so underserved by these stereotypes. Well, welcome to medicine. You're right. I could say so much more, but I think you get it. My partner was diagnosed with autism at age 29 after undergoing all manner of abuse as a child and coming close to taking their life several times. Autistic people are deeply vulnerable when undiagnosed. This is serious stuff and things have to change, so please, will you be part of the solution? right? So I did receive emails like that, but here is an example of the many emails I received that said pretty much the exact opposite to the last part says, Catherine, in reference to the advice seeker who wanted to know whether she should tell her sister that her nephew probably has autism. My sister told me that when my daughter was two and it was incredibly hurtful to me. She was antagonistic in tone and blamed me for not doing something about it earlier. I was doing something about it. She just didn't know because it's not her business. I still do not have any contact with my sister six years later, even though she was right about the autism. She has never met my two younger kids and my daughter has not seen my sister since that day she confronted me. A few people in my life have asked me whether they should raise autism as a concern to other family members of theirs. I always say, do not bring it up unless you are willing to no longer have any contact with the family member and child in question. Pediatricians, teachers, and speech therapists are well-trained in identifying these things, and it's better to let them, quote, be the bad guy. Now, obviously this depends, this is me now, not the letter anymore, but thank you for that letter. I think this depends on the relationship, but the listener last week said that she had already brought it up and her sister was not responsive. So when someone gets defensive, just don't, I would say, don't risk your relationship and push it. And I agree with the first letter that of course, when you can have intervention and make your life easier and take stress away, from a child that is key but you know these things are very delicate and thank you for all your letters who knew how many people are navigating autism dealing with autism in their families Good news about the Canadian listen to me about about I'm getting revved up already. One listener has written in that my dating show idea where we choose a bunch of divorced or, you know, otherwise not Love Island category older maybe, single moms, who knows, women from the UK. We take British women and we fly them to Canada and we introduce them to like hunky, down-home Canadian men like Bobby, the type of man that can chop wood. Someone has written in, Christina. She said, so you think you can remarry, A. Eh? I feel like that's what we're gonna call it. Great news about that. So many of you have put yourselves up for this show. Like I feel that I'm running my own 90 Day Fiance cross-continental dating business already. A lot of British women want in and a lot of Canadian men have been put forward by their female listener friends. And I'm excited about it. I actually have a meeting to discuss it next week, and I really, truly want to make it happen. So I will keep you updated. I'm going to print out, you know, old school, all of your emails, every single one, and I'm going to walk into that meeting with a stack of your emails and profiles and just be like, "Look, we've already got a huge interest in the show, and I hope we can get this off the ground. And then Bobby and I can go to Canada. We're going to pick like, oh my god, we got to do it and probably oh, it has to be Newfoundland. It has to be Newfoundland. That's only 5 hours away." oh, it's going to be incredible. So watch this space. And now please listen to a few messages from our sponsors. And when we return, I will get into the new emails. This is so much fun. We're having such a nice back and forth conversation.
0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.
1: Dear Catherine, my boyfriend has gotten lazy. Well, of course he has. I have been living with my boyfriend of three years for a year and a half, and while he's never been the athletic type, he's become immobile since the end of last summer. He's amazing around the house and does a majority of the cooking and is always very persistent with cleaning and other chores. However, he stopped going to the gym after work and he'll only go for a walk when I join him and pressure him into it. He spends hours each evening watching football from the couch and it's starting to annoy me. He does not seem to be as healthy as he was when we first met and his laziness is getting to me. I'm a perpetually busy person who exercises frequently and I get anxious if I have too many lazy evenings in a month. Am I placing my personal expectations of myself on him or is it fair for me to tell him I'd like him to be more physically active for his health? I don't want to hurt his feelings. I have many flaws and I'm far from perfect. However, my displeasure is manifesting into snide comments and I want to see him happier and to get his energy and confidence back. Do you think I should discuss my annoyance? And if so, how should I go about it without hurting his feelings? Good God. I think you just need to break up because I know that's always what I say, but it's always true. You seem like you guys don't have any financial issues. You haven't brought that up. He does his fair share around the house. It sounds like more than his fair share according to you or maybe you're just being generous. I don't think either one of you is sick. You don't have any children. What I'm getting at is there are real problems coming your way. And who knows what that would be, but life is going to throw some tests at your relationship and you've only been together for 3 years and you don't seem to have any dependence or, you know, like traumas yet. And if already he's giving you the ick is what I'm hearing and you're building up resentment, then that is a relationship that's doomed to fail because once the respect is gone, it's done. And who he is, like, this is who he is. He's just relaxing now. And maybe he was like revved up in the beginning of the relationship and keeping up appearances and pretending like he went, liked to run, but he was just doing that to get you. And now he's got you and he's on your sofa. He has infested your property like a rat and he's being polite and keeping it clean and stuff. And those are good qualities. But ultimately he wants to be the kind of man who sits on the couch watching football. And like, if you're not okay with that. They, they don't change very much after this. Like, this is it. This is him. I suppose you could try to have a conversation, I mean, with the stakes so high and be like, I am a very active person and I want you to be active with me because that's what I enjoyed in the beginning of our relationship. So could you tell me, do you think you've changed or was that you putting on a different act? Do you know what I mean? Like, were you doing that for me in the beginning, but really you don't want to do it? Or are you feeling like you've changed now and you're depressed or like it's something we can work through? Because I very much think that it's the first one. (laughs) I feel like that. This is him now. He's just like, ah. And if you don't want to be married to someone like that or live a long life with someone like that, then you're just going to have to find someone else you know, because he will be resentful of you. If he's like, what? I have to go for runs and walk and get, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to stay on the couch scratching my balls. And there are plenty of women who will be happy with him doing that. So first you need to figure out if something's up or if this is truly who he is. And I think this is who he is. And then you need to decide whether or not that's a deal breaker and don't date for potential. I always say who he is is who he is. This is what you're getting for the next 60 years. And it will only get worse. (laughs) Or do you love him enough to be okay with that? And can you go out and find, you know, athletic activities to do by yourself? Or, you know, is this it? Because I'm sorry. I'm sorry it can't be better news. Oh, no. So the email about splitting from the terrible husband who is threatening you and keeping your daughter from you, this has prompted more emails about the same subject, which is my nightmare that so many of you are going through this. Catherine, I wanted to write in and put my two pennies in response to the email you read out this week from the woman whose ex-husband is threatening to stop her seeing her child. I totally understand your response. In my heart, I feel that way too. Get legal advice. Make sure you're putting your children first, etc. Protect them from their father's behavior. Unfortunately, I have a similar situation and I found the reality isn't that straightforward. I wish that I had been better prepared for it. I divorced my husband in 2020. He's emotionally abusive, controlling, all the gaslighting, the usual narcissistic wanker that women with low self-worth stupidly fall for. In 2021, he took me to court to gain more custody of the children. We have two young girls. He was after a 50, oh, he was after a 50-50 split and he was granted six nights in 14. Our girls have been more settled than they were, but I can still see they really struggle with the constant moving between houses. I did a shit ton of therapy and in the process qualified at the end of 2021 as a therapist myself. I gained the confidence to go back into this horrible system and fight to make things better for my girls. We live in a small village surrounded by friends where they go to school and where they feel is home. He lives half an hour drive away on the other side of a city. I know that if the girls spend the majority of their time with me and their home, they will feel more settled and confident. So at the end of 2022, I began the process again to essentially reduce his custody to every other weekend with him having them for an evening in the alternate week. It's something the children have both expressed a desire for. I worked hard, I got legal help, I used my savings and a huge amount of more therapy to get through this process. In April of this year, we had our final hearing. He lied. He was unprepared. He didn't have legal help, no preparation. I had support, loads of evidence, and a clear, structured argument for my reasons why the custody would improve things for the children. But I lost. The courts made absolutely no changes to our current arrangement. They even congratulated us on how well we're co-parenting. I mean, what the fuck? We're in court? It's clearly not going well since this decision i've really struggled with my own mental health i'm not from this area originally and although i don't want to move back to my hometown i feel strongly that i want to move away and have a fresh start my ex continues to manipulate and gaslight me and the children and i want nothing more to do with him but i can't move away i wouldn't leave my children and he would be able to stop me in court from moving away from him it has left me feeling unheard unhappy and trapped even resenting my children for the reason I can't control my life. Logically, I know it's not their fault, I am aware. There's some brilliant research about how the effects of coercive control and the changes that need to be made in the family court system, but the changes aren't being made fast enough. I don't agree that the woman from the email should do nothing. She absolutely needs to fight for her child, but she also needs to safeguard herself about the impacts of fighting in a broken and shit system. Oh, and if you've got any advice for me, throw it my way. trying to be positive and move forward, but I hate it so much when he has my children and I can't protect them from his subtle but damaging behavior, for fuck's sake. I mean, I hear this so often. And also, okay, so the best thing to do is take the other person's side, for me. You know what I mean? Like, the best advice I can give you is if I pretend I'm on the dad's team for a second and let's say I'm advocating for him, I would say that a dad is equally entitled to access to his children as a mother is. And why should he have less than you? And they're happy there and he shouldn't have them taken away and blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? Like put yourself in his position. and But then the problem arises that he's, Controlling and manipulative, and blah blah blah. And it's very difficult to prove in a broken system that that's damaging to your children. But I can see how the courts are like, Well, you know, they need to see their dad, they need to know their dad. I don't know. Um, well, the advice I would definitely give you is to put your own mask on first and make sure that you remain as mentally calm and centered and peaceful about what you do have as possible because the last thing your girls need is for you to totally go off the deep end and lose it or move away and already i know what you mean when you say you resent them a little bit it's not their fault and you know that you shouldn't resent them but it's this like your central nervous system that you can't control is like screaming out that you still feel tethered to this useless fuck of a man by these children, and you wish that you could break free from him, like everyone can if they are successful in getting out of a bad relationship. It's like, oh great, block and delete, you never have to hear from him again. But I think that they're, oh, it's, it's literally my nightmare. It is awful. I cannot imagine how I would feel if Violet was at her dad's that often. Violet does not go to her dad's. She speaks to him, they have a great relationship, but she's old enough that she just does what she wants. And I think my advice to you is that things are shit now, but those girls are not in any immediate danger. A lot of people have a shit dad, and soon they'll be old enough that the courts will listen to them and let them choose. And I know that you're worried that by then some psychological damage will be done, but another, another positive, I guess, is that they're really Getting to know their dad, and he's probably different with them than he is with you. And it's always good to know where you came from. You know, like my dad is great, but I wasn't as close with him before my parents split up. And then when my parents split up, and I had to actually spend like one on one time with my dad, I got to know him in a different way. And he was happier because he was not with my mom, and my mom was happier because she wasn't with my dad. And I think that. I would take the addict's approach. I think what they say is control the things you can, accept the things you can't, and have the wisdom to know the difference or some version of that. So I think that you need to focus on your wins. You need to be like, I am free to have you know, my own company or date whomever I want or just not live with this man anymore and I'm still unpacking the damage that, was done in this relationship, but ultimately I am free, and your girls are not in any immediate danger, and you have them half the week, and they're healthy and well looked after, and things could be a lot worse. And I know that seems, you know, like lip service, and you're like, that's not what I want to hear. But I mean, your hands are tied for a little while, unfortunately, so you better just find peace in the things that you can, and find a, a useful activity that makes you happy during the time that your girls are with their dad, and. You know, you can send them little care packs like to open a letter from you every day. I'm sure they call you and text you a lot. Because do you know the average age now that the majority of kids have cell phones is seven? Seven in the UK. So I'm sure they have mobiles. I'm sorry. And the advice to listeners who don't have children but who want children, I scream this advice to you heed the warning from women who've had kids with an idiot. Do not have kids with a psycho. Do not have kids with someone who controls you. Do not have kids with someone who is an asshole because he will only become more of an asshole and his tethers to you will grow stronger once you have his kids. So use a condom if you're going to fuck a toxic man. For God's sake, we're all, not me, but like, All of us listeners together as a collective are in such bad relationships. And I include myself because I used to do shit like this. Catherine, my friend is still mates with the guy who assaulted me. I would like your opinion and any advice you have on my friendship problem. Trigger warning, this story contains sexual abuse. It might get a bit confusing. Essentially, we are a group of 20 friends, long-term relationships included. And some are starting to get to that age where they're getting married. Nine years ago, I was assaulted by someone in my friendship group from school. Everyone found out that we had, quote, sex, and I was judged for being a floozy. I felt ostracized from our group. I didn't tell anyone the truth about what happened for a number of reasons until I told my best friend four years ago. She's part of that group, too, and she has her own friendship with my rapist. She was the first and only person I told my secret to, and I've always regarded her as my very best friend. She was supportive at the time, and I trusted her. She and her husband, oh, uh, that's it. She and her husband are still friends with him. He was a groomsman in their wedding. She posts birthday messages to him online, etc. My problem is that all of this hurts me. I trusted her with something that deeply, deeply hurt me emotionally, physically, and mentally and she continues to have an active and public relationship with my assaulter. I feel like he's being prioritized in her life over me. It's very upsetting and hurtful. I don't want to talk to her about it. The damage is done. There would be no condolence in an apology from her or her ceasing to be friends with him now. She's already made those choices and they've already hurt me. My question to you is, can you see any other way around dealing with this other than talking to her? Do I ghost her? Do I friendship dump her? Do I ignore it and continue to be friends with her? Do I leave my friendship group so I never have to see either of them again? I don't wanna hash it out with her because it would be too painful, but not hashing it out is causing me a degree of anger and upset. My current approach is avoiding her unless it's a group meetup and no one on one time involved well what she has done is uh been very classically british and she is keeping up appearances and she's prioritizing not the man who assaulted you she's prioritizing her husband over you it's a big group of friends her husband is friends with him and she's just not rocking the boat at home she's either not told her husband what you told her or she's told him and they have just collectively decided as a couple it's not a very big deal for some reason. Or maybe she doesn't believe you, which I know is really difficult to hear, but I mean, for me, I think it's better than the alternative. She either doesn't believe you or has just chosen, oh, well, that's my husband's friend, I'm just gonna keep it sweet. And that happened a long time ago, I'm sure she's over it. You know, she's really diminished how bad this was for you. In uh, So, I mean, I know you think it's painful to talk about it, but if it's my best friend, Caitlin, I think I would have, could I talk about it or would I just ghost her? I mean, I, I. The, I'm so sorry this happened to you and you've lost a lot already. You've been through a trauma and you definitely need to speak to a therapist But is there a way of salvaging this whole friendship group? Because doesn't it re-traumatize you to see this guy all the time? But I think you deserve to keep your group of friends. And of course, not many of them know what's happened. I would, I think, say to you in my unqualified experience, I would talk to your best friend and I would go make it short and sweet. I would go, can we have coffee? Meet her face to face. And then I would say, look, I told you what happened it was and still is very traumatic for me. And what I think has happened, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you don't think it's a big deal or you don't believe me because I see that you're still saying happy birthday to him and carrying on a relationship. And all I can say from my perspective as your friend is if you told me that he had done that to you, I would completely cut him out. Uh, not only is it traumatic for you, but he's surely a danger to everyone else in your friendship group. I would start there and then see what she says. And I know you're never gonna be friends the way you were before and the damage has been done, but I think that you still deserve to be heard. And I think that will help you in your healing to say that to her. I think she needs to hear it. You will be doing a public service by having just that chat with her. And no, you'll, you'll never be that close again. And maybe you could ghost her after that. But I think it will feel that a weight has been lifted off your chest. I would just say, I would be a better friend to you than you have been to me. And I think I deserve to know why. And I'm sure she'll come back and be like, well, you know, my husband's friends with it. It's just easier. And then just tell her once more, well, it was very traumatic for me. And now I feel re-traumatized seeing my best friend almost act like it's okay. And she needs to hear that from you. And then you find a new best friend. Oh no, Catherine, I cannot stop creeping his ex. Catherine, I feel like this is going to sound crazy. And part of me typing this is just so I can tell someone as it's driving me mad. (laughs) I've been with my partner for two years. We're both in our late thirties. So obviously we've had previous partners and histories. I'm hoping this will be the partner I finally settled down with. When we met, I felt quite comfortable in myself and in our relationship and in his feelings toward me. It was going really well. A few months in, we had some kind of version of the chat and discussed exes. I don't feel comfortable discussing that stuff, despite having a pretty healthy past, because I know I have in the past suffered with retroactive jealousy. I now know that this is what it's called. Oh, that's an interesting term. Retroactive jealousy. Anyway. Long story short, since finding out the history of the ex and meeting her on a night out, I have become absolutely obsessed with her. This sounds crazy. I feel ashamed at my age to be obsessing over such shallow things, but it's really taken me to a dark place filled with low self-esteem. I've extensively stalked her on social media, literally any platform I can find, even looking on music streaming platforms to see what music she listens to, even Depop to see what clothes she buys, and I read all her reviews. Ooh, to the point I know very personal information about her and even about her family. <laughs> I've even done her astro chart. I'm not laughing at you. This is awesome. Like I love that you're this, this invested. I've done her astro chart and compared it to his to see their compatibility versus ours, which by the way, is stuff that we used to do when we were little. So don't even worry about it. I feel, I mean, yes, worry about it, but all that is to come. I feel like she's better than me in every way, younger, thinner, cooler, more fun, talented, confident, and all the time in my rational mind, I know this stuff is not important. I'm a successful, independent woman with my own qualities, which I seem to be losing view of every day. This has gone on for over a year i think this is impacting my relationship because i've become so insecure and i've not really struggled with anything like that when i feel low i think of all the ways i'm less than she is so why would he want to be with me i feel like a consolation prize i'm terrified of being in a social situation with her so much that i've not gone on nights out or spent money i don't have on new outfits just in case i see her i make up scenarios about them which i have no idea if they're true or not, imagining this amazing relationship where everything was perfect. I've blocked her on social media. I've read lots of articles about retroactive jealousy. I've had big talks with myself about reclaiming my own individuality, but then at a low point, I will go back to this horrible place. Please help, talk some sense into me. I'm too ashamed to speak to any of my friends about it. I always feel that you offer excellent advice, the same kind of advice I'm sure one of my friends would give me if I could bring myself to tell them. Do you think I should tell them how, tell him how I feel? Holy, oh my God, you nearly gave me a heart attack. Absolutely do not tell him any of the above. I had no idea you were gonna say that. No, 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 do not tell him. Do not tell him that you are stalking his ex. No, do not. Cardi B said it best when oh, what was it? It was about other women hitting on her man or exes. Well, I mean, Offset has been unfaithful a lot, but she said, oh, her quote was like, I don't talk about you. My relationship's not about you. When I talk about my man or when I'm with my man, We have sex or we eat or we talk about food or we talk about TV. Like, I'm not letting you into my relationship by talking about you. We don't argue about you. And that is something really important. Like, don't let the devil into the room. Not saying this woman is a devil, but like, do not talk about her in your relationship at all. No, your relationship is about food and sex and fun and going out and issues within your own relationship. Jesus Christ, do not tell him about this. I was laughing at the beginning, number one, because I love how vulnerable and honest you're being and you're pouring all of this out. Like You did not have to tell me every detail, but you did. And I love that about you. And I think that you are funny and fun and you're a really good writer. And I would want to be married to someone who was capable of this type of vulnerability and this type of brutal self-awareness. You are incredibly self-aware. And I think that that is one of the reasons that he loves you and he's with you. You know what I mean? You're not a consolation prize. We were all skinnier and younger and better looking when we were skinnier and younger and better looking. And I'm sure he looked better back then too. But you're together now for reasons that like, you know, even though you've stalked this woman, you don't know what she was like in a relationship. No one knows what goes on in a relationship apart from the two people that are in it. And there's, a time and a place for every type of relationship. And I'm sure they outgrew each other, or maybe she's difficult to live with, or maybe she's not actually all these wonderful things that you have built her up to be. And that if you could only see yourself from a retroactive jealousy perspective, you know, why don't you imagine, I mean, this is not official advice. I have no qualifications. Why don't you imagine what his next girlfriend would think about you if you ever broke up? If his next girlfriend went onto your social media or bumped into you on a night out or got to know you, what would she say about you? She'd be like, oh, this girl is such a good writer and she's really fun and she's really funny and she's confident and she's cool and I don't have any of this. You know, don't lose all those qualities about yourself that make you wonderful. Certainly don't lose them to the past. Like for no reason, this woman is a ghost. And you've got to, you say you've blocked her. I mean, I I don't know if I would block her because I think that's something she can see. If she ever decided to stalk you, which she might be doing this very minute, she might be like, Oh, what does she have that I don't? Because remember, you are his current girlfriend. Who care? I have never gone on the pages of Bobby's exes. I don't care. I don't give a shit. Um, I wonder if I have any tools for not doing that or if it just comes naturally to me. I mean, I just have like an overabundance of self-esteem. I think I'm awesome. Um, but shit, his exes must have a terrible time with me because I'm like so easy to stalk. I'm like, cool, and I have lots of friends, and I'm wealthy, and I have his kids now, and I'm like, happy with him, and you can get to know my entire family (laughs) online. Like, ugh, I don't know. But probably he's dated women who are thinner than I am and younger than I am, where they might be more fun than I am, probably. I'm sure he has. But I don't give a shit because like, I'm with him now, and I think you just have to live for now. Live for now. Don't just like put an elastic band around your wrist and snap it every time because your brain must be doing something to you when you look at pictures of her. It's giving you a little dopamine hit or adrenaline. You're getting off on this jealousy somehow. So you've just got to stop it at the source. You're like a jealousy addict. So remember how amazing you are. Put an elastic band around your wrist. And every time you think about looking at her, just be very strict with yourself. Snap it. Do not look at her, and soon you'll forget her, and she will become the ghost that all of us know her to be. Look only forward, because there is no going back. Thank you very much for all of your letters. I think you're helping Joanne feel a lot less lonely. I mean, maybe Joanne's not lonely. I don't know. I don't talk to her, but she seems to have a very rich social life in the uh, musical theater scene, and she's a teacher. You know how much they love, like, Prepping classes. I mean, I'm sure she just loves dipping into your emails and she feels like she has a whole new group of friends, just like I do. So please keep writing us, telling everybody everything at gmail.com. If you have any advice that you want to add to the listeners' letters that have written in, please give it. I as ever am super underqualified. I am sorry to Diggerland for complaining about Fred not getting on the ride. I was just sort of being funny on social media. I loved Diggerland. If you get a chance, you should go. I also really want to go to JCB World. I'll let you know if Fred is denied any rides there. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Please look after each other. I'll see you soon.